But until then, here's something that we all need to learn. Uh, when you teach a class, when you do Sunday school, when you do teenagers or whatever, there should all be something for the head. You know this already, but I think it bears worth repeating. Something for the heart and something for the hands. Come on, say head. head. Somebody say heart. Something for, and something for the hands. Uh, when you give somebody something for the head, you want to eventually make sure before they leave the room that they know something. What did they learn? What did they know? Okay. Heart. What did they feel? What did they feel? That's not the word feel. There it is. One L. All right. What did they learn? Or no. What did they feel? And then hands. What did they do? So we're going to try that one more time. The word in the, in the academic world is pedagogy. 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 Adult gogi, the learning or the teaching of adults. Today, we're teaching adults today. So it's pedagogy. Uh, uh, you need something for the cognitive. All right? The, the actual institutional word in this case would be cognitive. Something for the head. What did I know or what did I learn while I was in Sunday school, while I was in church? While I was in Tuesday night Bible study, what did I learn while I was in the high school, middle school, or college setting, right? Someone say something for the head. Come on, talk. To, I know you have your mask on, but I just want to make sure you're with me today. Say, Lord, give me something for my head today. Uh, number two, the heart. So if the head and uh, Elder Redman, if you can get my bag, I got some old colored markers in my bag. I, I like colored markers, okay? All right. So in the head, if this is the cognizant, and I know I'm not spelling that right, but you all get the picture. Something that I learned, uh, the heart is the effective, the effective. So not only do I need something for my head today, right, but I need to feel something. This ain't biology 101, chemistry 102, and, and trigonometry 103. This is the word of God. And, and didn't those two disciples say, did we not feel, or did not something burn within our hearts? Thank you, sir. When we heard from the Lord, right? And so I don't want to be in a church setting where I get a whole bunch of head knowledge, but I get nothing from my heart. I need to feel something in the services. I need to feel like I'm a part of the vision. I need to feel like the word of God is resonating in my heart. Thy word have I hidden in my heart. Talk to me now. Heart that I may not sin against you. Now, that's really nice and good, but we take it to another level. So God, give me something for my head. Come on, say with me. Lord, give me something for my heart. I want to, not only do I want to know, but I want to feel. And, and if I got something for the cognizant, the head, the affection, which is my feelings, here's that last piece. Give me something for the hands. I got to do something with what I've learned and what I felt. Because if it doesn't translate to doing something, your time in the church has been in vain. My time in the church has been in vain. And I think that's why eight out of, so I'm sorry, seven out of eight major mainline denominations, as if you're the plateaued, are they on the decline. And that was before the pandemic. That was before the pandemic. Why are churches not relevant? Why are people just going around the same old ancient landmarks 20, 30, 40 years and no change? Got a lot of good stuff in the head. Felt real good on Sunday, but they never were given something to do. That's what we call the application. Come on, say application. So head, the heart, and the hands. That's what we're going today. My goal these next couple of weeks as we continue on this series is to make sure that when you come to church and when you invite somebody to church, it's just not your grandfather's Oldsmobile business as usual, but you're actually learning. Man, I felt something in that worship service. Did not the word of God burn within our hearts? But you know what, hot dog? I can take something home. 
and I can do something, whether it's in my, 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 on my job, in my career, in my, my extracurricular activities, whether it's on campus, whether it's on the base, whatever your lives, there's something that you've got for your hands. Acts chapter 18, let's get started. Verse 24, once again, Acts chapter 18, all right, verse 24. I want to talk about two people that we don't often talk about in scripture, but they were highly, highly used of the Lord. Uh, let's get started. Acts 18, verse 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, he was born in North Africa. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. He was born in Alexandria. He was an eloquent man. What kind of man was he? He was an eloquent man, and he was mighty in the Old Testament scriptures. Isn't that what your Bible says? He was mighty in the scriptures. Now, he don't have the 66 books you and I have, what he would have had in first century patristic period, excuse me, first century church would have been the Old Testament. So he was mighty in knowing the Old Testament. Watch this. Uh, he came to Ephesus. Now this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and he taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. Now some of you are looking at me like, wait a minute. I thought you said all he knew was the Old Testament. You do realize John the Baptist was in the Old Testament. Although we read about him in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or John, technically he was still yet before Jesus. And if he was before Jesus, he was considered a great prophet found in the Old Testament. You'll get that later, but trust me, it's in the Bible, right? So he knew of John the Baptist. He knew that this man had come with wild locusts and eating honey and wild locusts and he wore, uh, you know, a certain type of clothing. He knew that his whole mission was to bring people from the city out to the wilderness and he had one message, repent uh, for the presence or repent for the word of the Lord is at hand, for salvation is at hand. That was the only message that John the Baptist had. His daddy was Zacharias, right? You remember the story in Luke chapter 1, how he was birthed and, and how John the Baptist, his mother, Elizabeth, and then Mary, who were cousins, how, you know, they got together and the baby leaped in her womb. I mean, it's a wonderful story. What's more impressive is what dad did to the son. What Zacharias spoke to the son. He spoke such powerful inviting words that mark John the Baptist. Hold another message, but the point I'm making is this. He came before Jesus. Now let's keep reading. So verse 26. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And that's what I want to focus in on for the next few moments. They explained to him the word of God more accurately. This is what we're doing on Tuesday nights. We're taking you, the Apollos of this world, and we're explaining the word of God just a little bit more in definition, a little bit more in substance, a little bit more in fine tune, a little bit more accurately. In fact, the Christian English version says it this way. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him to their home and they helped him to understand God's way even better. Okay? Someone had asked me a couple of weeks ago, what should be the philosophy of ministry? Now, I don't even remember what setting I was in, but I do remember the question being asked. How do we reach people in this pandemic hour? People are fearful. People have uncertainty. There's a lot of unresolved. People are not sure what's going on. 
And my answer was simply this, you meet them wherever they're at. You meet them wherever they're at. You don't meet them based on their, 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 their makeup, their wig, their hair. You don't meet them based on their denominational upbringing. You don't meet them based on their nose ring or their lip ring or, or, or their ink on their skin. You don't meet them based on what you perceive of them. You find them wherever they're at and you lovingly bring them closer to the Lord. I said two weeks ago that the church has had this bad problem of trying to uh, uh, scale the fish before they catch the fish. Somehow or another, the church didn't appreciate Acts chapter 2 when the Bible says, uh, and the Lord added to the church daily those that were being, being, being saved. It wasn't an instant wave of baton and presto, you are now saved, sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Doesn't work like that. Your walk with God, your salvation is ongoing. It is developing. It's continual. But somewhere or another, the church drew a hard line in the sand and said, either you be us and look like us and act like us, or you're out. And you know what happened? Those same people went across town to another church who said, we love people with green hair. We love people who are confused. We love people who are not sure who they are. We will help you learn the word of God, learn the ways of God, and learn sanctification in God. And so now we got a problem because now we got our lip poked out, jealous, envious, and mad at other churches that are growing, but they were willing to be like Aquila and Priscilla and meet people where they were at. Come on, I want to talk to you just for a few moments. Are you still with me? Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody say something for the head, amen. something for the heart, and something for the hands. You know what I'm going to do? Elder Hunt, if you don't mind, sir, if you could help me out, would you erase that for me? Erase that for me. I got a couple other things. Now, you're not, the you're not the teacher's pet at all, by any means. You're not, by all means. But, but you will get an A on the, on the quiz if you don't tell nobody. All right. Thank you so much for you. His sons are two bright, beautiful freshman college student football players. And uh, he and Lynette have done an excellent job. And uh, we're so proud of all of them. At City Church today, we're building lives, one soul at a time. We're building lives, one family at a time. What's the difference between now and 20 years ago? We were in the business of building buildings. May I talk to you today? I know we have a lot of guests and visitors. <laughs> I had a colleague from Wisconsin call and said, man, you put it out there online a few weeks ago. I said, yeah, I ain't got, nothing to shame. I ain't got no shame in the hide. Ain't nothing to act like it ain't happened. Yeah, we, we're in the fight of our lives. We've got some navigations and some, some decisions and we've got some dilemmas and we're praying and believing God and we're going to get the victory and we're going to keep walking in God's thing. So I say that to say this, this church made its name on building facilities, building buildings, buying acreage, building a name, building a denominational status, building a jurisdiction. And I kind of wonder right now, had we could do it all over again, would we still have that same focus versus building people and building lives? And so let me go back to what I said earlier. If you want to build a denomination or build a church name, you're probably in the wrong church. If you want to build brick and mortar so we can tell everybody how awesome we are and come look at our Taj Mahal, we've had that season. We're no longer there. For the rest of my life and the rest of this ministry existence, if the Lord say the same, our motive is not to build buildings, it's to build people and to build families. And how does that happen? One soul at a time. Now, please understand real quick, I want to give you a couple of things to consider today. As, we, as, as with any building project, there are navigation tools such as maps, 
compasses and blueprints, but those things are needed. Again, if we're going to successfully guide one through the very arduous task, but it is a rewarding task and experience from concept to completion. No, we have blueprints. You know what our blueprints are? The word of God. These are our blueprints. This will show us how to build people, how to build families one soul at a time. Uh, I believe we need schematics. Schematics for salvation, spiritual development, and significance. Now, I said this two Sundays ago, and I want to pick it up right here. Number one, please understand, and again, if you go to your phone, these notes are in your app. These notes are on your phone. So I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of this service that you've probably never done before. Many of you all have, like me and everywhere else, you, you, you grew up in church and that, that proverbial question is always asked on Monday or Tuesday on the job. What did your reverend talk about? What did your pastor talk about? What did y'all do yesterday? Well, instead of trying to look back and pass in your memory and think, just share the notes with them. Because, Sister Donette, the thing I love about this app is you can share this video sermon tomorrow morning or tonight. You can share the notes in the sermon with anybody you want to share it with. So now, instead of trying to rehearse and remember, just give them the notes. And they can go through the Bible study, go through the notes themselves. Because we now have to rethink the digital process of evangelism. We have to get back to relational evangelism, but we need to start thinking about digital evangelism as well. So here's what I said two Sundays ago, if you'll recall. Number one, the church offers hope for the hopeless. Make no mistake about it. The church offers help for those who are helpless. Okay, and the church offers healing for the broken and the afflicted. I know we look nice today. You've got your nice clothes on. She's got her nice clothes on. And you've got some wonderful sparkling shoes. And everybody looks really, really nice, right? But do you realize that the church is still a hospital for the sick? Do you not realize that the church should be the place for healing, right? And, and, and hope. And if we can't get this in the church, where are we going to get it at? You're not going to get it at the club. You're not going to get it at, at the bar. You're not going to get it anywhere else other than the seat in the house of God. Why the church? Well, because that's where the presence of the Lord is. That's where the of the Lord is. Pastor Stevens, can you give me a scripture? I sure can. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. You can write it down or you can underscore it on your app. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Listen closely. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by, who had come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Notice closely the next verse. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. All of these reverends, pastors, men of God, and the Carr family, starting with dad, what a joy. What a unique calling on their lives. But every one of you all, I'm sure you would agree with me. I would never want to be in an atmosphere and the presence of God is not there. I mean, I'm talking about in the church, in a service, revival, conference, crusade, concert, whatever you call it. And you all know my, my MO here. I don't like telling people you did a great job singing when you really didn't. You know, too long, somebody got up here and butchered a song trying to do a sermonic solo, and they just made a, 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 a nightmare of the song, and then here we got to go tell them how great they did. Now, I'm not telling you that. I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, praise the Lord. <laughs> but why would I endorse and, and, and continue on? We do it all the time because we feel sorry for people. But because of that, there's no demand on that person going to see God. 
and getting his presence to say, hey, something's missing right here, right? Same thing with sermons and preachers. We got to be real careful with what we endorse verbally or, or even with our hand motions. And so the presence of the Lord was there to bring healing. What does that have to do with this service today? I'll tell you what it has to do with this service. Sunday morning should be a time of souls being saved. Lives being strengthened. People being encouraged. Sunday mornings is not the time to handhold grown Christians and entertain while we really should be focusing on those who are lost, those who are broken, and those who are hurting. You wonder why the church, there's a business term, and I, I, don't, I don't have it written down right now, but it goes something like this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it's currently getting. Now, that works in the medical world. It works in the engineering world. It works in, 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 in uh, quality assessment world. If you are an industrial engineer, if you're in some type of, of system southern's uh, background, remember this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it's currently getting. If the church is designed to babysit on Sunday morning and keep everybody warm and fuzzy and having a feel-good cotton candy sermon so we can all get along, well, you know what? That's pretty much what you're going to have. But here's a problem with that. Those folk will eventually get old and die off. And if you have not invested in the millennial, if you hadn't invested in the, the Y or the Z or the G, whatever the generations they are now, we will eventually be preaching to ourselves until we are the last man standing. So let's go back in history. 20 years ago, I didn't have to preach a sermon like this. You know why? Because we were all 20s and 30s. That was 20 years ago. Uh, look at your neighbor to your left and look at your neighbor to your right. We ain't them spring chickens we used to be 25 years ago. All right? I was, <laughs> I was at the barbershop yesterday afternoon and, and the young man said, uh, do you want me to take some more off? I said, ain't but so much to take off left. All right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, I actually ran into uh, Sister Keisha at the bar with her son. And I said, no wonder your husband Fred kept his head bald. Because he didn't have to worry about the measurements of his hair. And brothers, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm with dad. Reverend, I'm with, I'm with dad right now. I'm trying to hold on to all the bit I got left. But the truth of the matter is, you're going to have to know when to hold him and know when to fold him. Know when to walk away. Let me get back on target. <laughs> Here's my objective for the next six, well, the next 12 minutes. Here's my objective today. You'll see it in your app. You'll see it on your phone. To fully understand God's priority and purposes of Christian discipleship and spiritual development. Okay? I'd be remiss if I didn't remind every one of you all that Jesus is real. Do you hear me? Jesus is real. And you know what Acts chapter 4, 13 said? Those disciples says, and we've been with him. That's what we're telling this COVID world. This black lives, blue lives, green lives, Asian lives, all lives matter world. Jesus is real. And we've been with him. Uh, Jesus is savior of the world. He is savior of the world. When we look at the tragedies of Afghanistan, when we look at Christian persecution all over the world, including Africa. When we look at some of the things that we're experiencing right now in our own homeland, 
we have to be reminded that Jesus is Lord all over the world. He heals, he sets free, and he delivers. You know, um, I hope this is not boring anybody today because at the end of the message, I'm going to have to involve you. I got to involve you. Because I've been in too many sermons. I, I, I heard one recently where, like I said earlier, it wasn't in this city. It was in another city. But the preacher got up and he hollered and hollered and hollered and hollered. And he sweated and sweated and sweated and sweated. And it was one of the worst sermons I've heard in my entire life. So when he came to the pulpit and you know how we shake each other's hand and God bless you. Blah, blah, blah. What I say? God bless you, man. That's all I can tell him. I wanted to tell him, man, that was, no, it wasn't. Because you were nowhere where you needed to be. I can't use the word in front of the kids that we would use in a all men's class, but it was self-satisfaction. That's the sermon he preached. It was a self-satisfying sermon. I'm going to set the precedence tonight. I'm going to show everybody how good I am and how good I can preach. And you know what? It should have been a good 20-minute sermon. It ended up being almost an hour and a half. And he was the only one getting something out of that message. At the expense of everyone else sitting there saying, when is this Negro going to sit down? That happened back in 1987, by the way. I need to say that so, because people don't lie right now. They look and they say, I wonder if he's talking about so-and-so. Uh, uh, 87 was he. Okay, so, all right. Anyway, so, let's get back started, okay? Someone say ortho. When you think about the word ortho, what do you think? What comes to mind? When you think about the word ortho, what comes to mind? Huh? Orthodontist? Orthopedics? What else comes to mind? Feet? Does anyone know what the word ortho means? So when you go to the orthodontist, what happens? Why don't y'all want to talk to me? Practice. No, when you go to the orthodontist, they straighten out your, your, your teeth. Your teeth, okay. I mean, orthodontist, braces, right? That's right. I mean, am I wrong? I'm not a dentist, but right. your son is an oral surgeon. He's a doctor or a surgeon, is that right? So he may not be an orthodontist, but ortho means straightening. And it's a straightening of those teeth. Is that right? Orthopedics. Straightening of the bones. Let me give you three words in the, in the church world that involves you today. Number one, orthopathy. Now, I told you all you're in class today, okay? I, want, I don't do this on regular Sundays, but I want you to have a feel of what Tuesday nights will be like at the church. We've got a major, major hurdle in front of us. And that is getting the church to migrate back to what's called a midweek Bible study. This, this Tuesday night, we're going to be in an atmosphere just like this. It won't be a whole bunch of offerings, a bunch of songs, and a whole bunch of preliminaries. We got one song, and then we go into the teaching. We're going to start with two tracks. One classroom will be for new, our next steps for new people. You know, people who are growing in their walk with God, learning more about the basics of salvation and the Lord and church and everything like that. And then the other class is going to be really for those who want to go deeper, want to go more. We're going to talk about race critical theory. You know why? Because here's my three problems. Very few of us in this room know anything about critical race theory. But every major news media, every major pocket is talking about it right now. And there's probably three types of people in this room. One, like me, you know nothing about it. Two, you know something about it, but you won't speak up because you're not really confident in what you think you know, right? And then number three, you know everything there is to know, but you're too scared to put your foot in the ground and make a stand. We went into, let's talk about vaccination. What does the Bible say about vaccination? What should the church be saying about vaccination? 
Though people are dropping like flies and dying left and right, there are still 80 million people in America who won't get vaccinated. And many of them are brown and from black communities. And the number one reason is, I don't know what's in that stuff, but you don't know what's in, in, in your aspirin. You don't know what's in uh, half the stuff in your, in your uh, drug cabinet in your bathroom. But yet, people are dying all around. So what should the church be saying? Right? And what should be our Christian worldview? Now, this ain't going to be CNN breaking news or Fox News breaking news. This will be the word of God and Christian worldview. Class starts at 7, 8.15. We do the benediction because we value, manage, and respect your time. So, orthopathy. The word pathy, my feelings. The right or correction of my feelings. Every church should go through a season of orthopathy. We need to correct and straighten out how we feel about a thing. Let me give you another word real quick. Oh, you'll love this next word. You'll love this next word. You know why? Because if you came from the Baptist church, it used to be on the sign right over the baptism. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, and then there was the Christian orthodoxy. One orthodox. The word orthodox. How many of y'all heard the word orthodox? Orthodox or orthodoxy. Here's where we go with this one. Ortho, the straightening of how you perceive the word of God. We got what I, what I call a lot of sloppy theology. A lot of messy, sloppy theology. We just saw, four, excuse me, we just saw a whole lot of that as a reason from our evangelical community. A lot of scripture twisting, a lot of thought manipulation because people don't know the word of God. So a church needs to understand the value of straightening out what people know and believe about the word of God. Because let's be honest, let's just be transparent. We can take this scripture and pretty much justify anything we want to. You want multiple wives? Talk about Solomon in the Old Testament. Talk about David. Uh, you want to be single? All right, uh, go to Paul. Paul said, I wish that you all were single like me. Uh, yeah, I mean, we can take the word of God and pretty much, well, you know, uh, Paul told Timothy, uh, take a little, little wine for his stomach's sake. Now you're a wino because of one half of a scripture. But what about the other scriptures? Be not drunk. Huh? But in the Holy Ghost. But you don't know that scripture. I see you're not saying anything about that scripture. Right? Oh, you must have went down a lane you shouldn't have gone down. See, when you get real quiet like that, that lets me know you may want to stay right there for a little bit. No wonder you want to invite Pastor Sharon and I to your house for the home dedication service. You know what they say, what's in your wallet? What's in your refrigerator? That's what I want to know. Huh? You're still not saying that, I see. We justify any and everything. Well, you know, ain't nothing wrong with smoking, ain't nothing wrong with smoking. If God had wanted you to smoke, he would have put a chimney on the side of your head. And it would look just like my grill at home that has a chimney on the side for all the smoke to come out of. And I know we live in tobacco headquarters, but tobacco is a root. And it is a root that was cursed. Okay? Now, someone's going to say to me, how dare you talk about people who smoke, but what about those who are obese and eat? So much. We were at the beach last two days and we looked up and down the, the beach and said, man, America is overweight, including me. So I'm just going to call it out there, right? There are all type of things we can justify because of orthodoxy. So we got to get back to how we feel about the word of God, how we learn the word of God. One last one, orthopraxy. All right. Don't you ever say you didn't come to this church and learn something when you went home. Orthopraxy, the right feelings, the right 
word and the right practice. This is the one I want to get you to. Because it does me no good to give you a whole bunch of sermon, a whole bunch of them feel good, and a whole bunch of hurrah, hurrah, and you can't go home and do something. These next few weeks, we've got Founders Conference coming. We've got some, some wonderful speakers, wonderful speakers. And we've got a great summers coming in too, by the way. It's going to be a phenomenal two or three weeks for this church. But I will not get off the vision of helping you, helping people know more about Jesus. I want to invite every one of you all to pray and contemplate and think through. Make some adjustments to your weekly schedule. It was painful for me to cancel Thursday night service two or three months ago. We had been Thursday night church for 27 years. Rain, sleet, storm, shine. We had service. With the exceptional holidays, like a Thanksgiving on a Thursday or something else, we walked from the gym, from the school, to Oconco Road, to the Oasis, to here. We've always had a midweek Bible study. But I felt that, you know, maybe now's the time to just shake some things up. You want to go somewhere you've never gone, you got to do something you never did. And so we canceled it, temporarily postponed it. So now we have the task of migrating people back to a mindset of coming back to church more than once a week. And I know for a lot of people that is a death threat. I, for a lot of people that is a dead on arrival. It is not going to happen. But if we can promise you a teaching atmosphere, and by the way, we'll be in the cafe. I like the closer, uh, uh, more intimate setting and feel. We've got the lights adjusted. Thank you, team. We're going to have the whiteboard out. You're going to have information. It's going to be very, very provocative, very, very instructional. I think you, you want to sit in uh, auditorium style. You can't. You want to sit at the table desk style. You can't. Everything has been so designed for you to learn and to go deeper in the word of God. The problem is I can't allow you or I cannot see you growing spiritually at the expense of people not knowing Jesus on Sunday mornings. Okay. All right. Real quick. I, I know my time is up. I got to find an area somewhere to maybe do part one and maybe part two. You know, I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you the word discipleship so you can really ponder upon why this is important to me, to the Lord, and it should be important to you. Most churches, particularly of our kind. What do you mean by that? Um, full gospel, spirit filled, vision driven, contemporary neo-pentecostal most of these churches we do really good when it comes to sunday mornings we've got the psalmist we've got the music we've got the lights camera action and and, and we can get we can get a crowd we can build a crowd we've never had a problem doing that most churches have no problem with sunday morning celebration i mean we pull out the works and make this a grand i want to have moment and experience but when nine out of ten churches fail, it's discipleship. Therefore, we have a church full of infants, spiritual babies, who struggle emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and the cycle, or I should say that it's cyclical, is ongoing. And it never fails until someone says enough is enough. We cannot be on this proverbial hamster cage where we're going in circles and circles and circles, making up a whole lot of noise, but we're never getting any traction. We're not growing. We are committed for you. We are committed to you growing in your walk with God. And it can't be on Sunday mornings. I hope you hear me clearly. It cannot be on Sunday mornings. Maybe that's why I need to stay just for a moment. If you want to grow spiritually, it's got to be more than Sunday mornings. Can somebody say amen?
if you want to develop your, your discipleship and go deeper and to be pleasing to God, when you have breathed your last breath on the earth and you stand before the Lord on that great getting up morning, great day of judgment, when there is a separation from the goats and the sheep, the righteous and the unrighteous, when you give an account, you want to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. In other words, you want to go to heaven. You want to spend all of eternity with the Lord in the new Jerusalem, right? In his kingdom. You have to grow spiritually. Because some of us are struggling with hidden sin. We struggle with proclivities. We struggle with, 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 with iniquities. And it's not that you're a devil. It's not that you're a heathen. But we've never put you in a course where you can grow and grow and grow. On top of that, we live in a culture where we can't talk to one another. We can't pull you to the side and say, man, my marriage is struggling. I got problems. Can you help me without it being on the news? Without it being on social media? We are in a tsunami of failure until someone says enough is enough. We've got titles. We've got positions. We've got activity. But many of us are starving, struggling. Because we were so involved with getting from you. Someone said it the other day, I, I did not repeat it that way, but I'll say it this way. I don't, you don't want to be in a church where everything goes up and nothing comes back down. We got your time, we got your tithe, we got your talents, we got your giftings, we got everything else. But what is the church giving me back in return? Other than a real good experience on Sunday mornings. You should be in a small group. You should be in a prayer group. You should be on a Bible study track. You should be holding one accountable and ministering one to another. The Bible says, as much as you see the day returning or re uh, approaching, encourage each other with these words, the Lord's return is near. Yes. But you may say, well, his return ain't been here 2,000 years. He ain't going to be here for another 2,000 years. That might be true. But you don't know when you're going to have your last day. And we want you to be prepared. Let me give you a definition called discipleship. That discipleship is this. The process Someone say process. process. The process by which disciples or followers grow in the lordship of Jesus Christ and are educated, equipped, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome the trials of this present world and become more Christ-like in their living. Okay? Can I say that again? Everybody all right? Does anybody even care today? Are y'all still with me? Let's try it again. Discipleship. It is a process by which a follower or disciple grows in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. So what is discipleship? It's a process. A process of what? A process of growing in Jesus. If you don't remember nothing else, it is a process of growing in Jesus. Once again, it is a process of growing in Jesus. And I'm almost finished. I won't take too much more of your time. I know you want to be first in line at the restaurant and sit there and watch reruns of yesterday's college game. But it is a what? Process. Two words. Pro. It is a continually going forward of a session or a continually learning, growing environment. Let me just repeat to every one of you all right now. You never, never, never stop spiritually growing. Okay? I need to say that again. You never Never, never stop spiritually growing. Okay? It is a continuum. Yes. 
You continue. It is a process of spiritual growth. And everybody should want to grow in Jesus. Okay? You're growing financially. No one has a problem with that, I see. You're growing in your stocks and bonds and investments and growing in your academic pursuits. You're growing in family uh, legacy. What happened to growing in Jesus? Why should we become midgets or stunted or, 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 or dwarfed? In our walk with God. Hebrews, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the author of Hebrews says this. You by now should be teachers, but you yourselves need the milk of the word of God. You should be in a position now where you're a small group leader. You're preaching on Sundays. Oh, well, I don't have to preach on Sunday. Why? Because we got 25 red hot on fire teachers and preachers with or without title. But they walk with God. They walk in the word and they are ready at any given notice to give the word of God. Right? So, 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 uh, you're educated, equipped, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, part of discipleship is growing in your spiritual walk and overcoming trials. Okay? Once again, it's not that you're a heathen. It's not that you're a bad dude. The truth of the matter is, we, we struggle. We are in this flesh. We are in this world. We see things, experience things, know things. But we got to learn how to overcome by coming closer to Jesus. How do we do that? In the word of God. In fasting and prayer. And staying in the word. And being accountable. The Bible tells us to confess our trespasses one to another. That you be healed. For he is faithful. For he, who, uh, uh, for he is faithful and just to forgive of all of your sins. But who are you going to tell your folks to? How many of us truly in this room have somebody... That they can confess their, their faults to. This Willie Lynch environment syndrome of 400 years has kept us pitted against each other. Hurting one another. And not believing that we can confide and trust one another. And you wonder why the world didn't want to come to church. Okay? I think I'll say it one more time before I find me a closing exit. You never... Never, never stop growing spiritually. My time is up. I'm going to find an opportunity to pick this up next Sunday with a part two. But here's our homework for the week. I need you to take some time to really ask yourself the question, am I where I need to be with the Lord? Honestly. And, and that can't be a, that can't be a, a feel good or an emotional or a non-substance answer. If you are, how do you know? How do you know? Well, I ain't no fornicator. I ain't no adulterer. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. Yeah, but you don't pray, you don't speak to your neighbor, you don't show charity, you don't, you're not hospitable, you're not kind. And the Bible says, last I checked, he who knows to do it not to him, it is sin. Am I really walking in the joy of the Lord? Yeah, listen, I don't need no help getting up in the morning when it's the morning to go hunting. September 15th, Every year is open deer season in the state of Wyoming. And we up at 4.30 in the morning with our rifles, 
our binoculars. We geared up. We didn't have a little coffee. No one had, we didn't need no alarm clock. Some of y'all love to fish like I do. When it's fishing Saturday morning, I don't need an alarm clock. It's four in the morning, the sun ain't up yet. We already sitting in the truck waiting on you. But when it comes to church on Sunday morning, we ain't got no problem at the tailgate party. Tailgate party, game don't start at five. We at the stadium at one. We have no problem. But when it comes to the prayer meeting, do we truly, can we qualify our joy? Can we truly qualify our faith with God? Here's where we're at. There was a man by the name of Aquila. And he had a wife whose name was Priscilla. We do not know a lot about them. But here's what we know. They were tent makers. Now, the tent is not the tent you and I think of. Because the tent we think of is the kind we would sleep in or the kind like a military. They were too educated for that. They were talith, the tent, the label, the, the, the lap cloth, the, 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 the prayer shawl. They were in the business like Paul of making prayer shawls as a side hustle. You had to be very educated and you had to know the word to make sure those shawls were kosher ready. And that's what they did for a living. We don't know a lot about them. But when Apollos, this black man from North Africa, came on the scene, he was mighty in scripture, knew the Old Testament, fervent in the Lord, although he had not knew, although he knew nothing about Jesus. What did he know then? Well, the Bible says he knew of John's baptism. In other words, unlike today with Wi-Fi and cell phones and videos and TVs and all of the mass communication techniques that we have, it wasn't like that back 2,000 years ago. So you literally could have been 30, 30 miles up the road and not even knew that Jesus had come, lived, died, buried, rose again, and went back to heaven. So apparently Apollos was one of those guys. But he knew all that he knew. But this unassuming couple, without title, without position, without rank, took them to his home, took him to their home, and they sat him down, they opened the word, and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And that's what I want you to do. That's what we are as a church are called to do. We are called today to take a broken, fragile world, yes, yes. as grand as they may think they are, yes. as blessed as they may think they are, and to get them into an environment, whether it's at the church, in our Bible study, maybe it's in your small group, maybe it's on your baseball team or your volleyball team, maybe it's in your crochet and knitting circle. Whatever you do, bring the apostles nearby, show them a little bit more accurately how to serve the Lord. If we do that, and we shall do that, I believe great things will happen, not only for our church, but for you.